Hello, and welcome back to So You Think You Can Fanon. I'm your host, Sergio, and today I am here with Matt as a little bit of an addendum to our mm. uh, SCP-7000 episode. Yeah. Um, see, there were a couple of people who just uh, both wouldn't stop talking, and also we had a pretty severe time limit, and this one is a fucking beefy contest entry that we were very interested by. It's a very good one. Uh, well, I haven't finished it, so I won't say it's a very good one. It's a very interesting one. It's attention-grabbing. It's unique. Uh, it's a good one. It's SCP-7000, Mangaka in the High Castle, Melancholy of the Rising Sun. It's a very interesting one that's based in the idea that Japan, in almost every universe, loses in World War II after America attacks them on their mainland so in the anomaly universe japan joins the allies china joins the axis and japan basically spirals out of control into some giant collection of anomalous beings that are kind of independent from the rest of the scp world like they have their own scp foundation branch in japan but they don't really work with the rest of the foundation that seems to be the implication that we've gotten so far is that is that what you would say, Sergio? I I'm... well, it's well, it's 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 not, it sounded to me because it says the Japanese branch is one of the more dominant parts of the foundation. However, this is decreasing. Um, uh, the, the, their hold is decreasing due to their own like internal issues because Japan is basically oppressing um, all of its anomalous entities, all of the mythological creatures that lived on like the Korean Peninsula and their holdings, um, which have. Basically, all of those entities have teamed up with the Philippine branch that's trying to get um, the timeline back to where it needs to be through the power of anime and manga. Yes, because we have SCP Foundation agents who themselves would normally, I would say, be classified as SCPs. But, you know, you know, they're working for the Foundation. They're good. They're good boys and girls. Uh, I think the main two that we had were... Umino and Kitsukumi, uh, Dragon Boy and Fox Girl. Yes, not a cat girl, a fox girl. Yes, unlike what Jacob said yesterday. Now, shall we resume? Yes, and so uh, last time we left off, uh, they ju- they had just communicated with a uh, a Korean lion uh, deity named uh, Heite. In Hayate, and we are going into uh, their next mission. Yep. <clears throat> Obtaining approval from the Operation Filibusterismo commun- uh, Committee, the High Castle pair then search for SCP-7000 Dokebi, whose invisibility and matter manipulation capabilities are crucial to the Phase 2 of Operation Filibusterismo. SCP-7000 Dokebi escaped to the populace neighboring territory of Manchuria, an area exploited by SCP-7000 for cheap mass labor and resources. Dokebi is a Korean nature spirit known for tattoos and trickery, and has approximately 120 minor Dokebi under its helm. Sovereign Mission 7002. Ang Lampara e Maning Ning Na Ilao. 
probably butchered the fuck out of that, but filed under document type MIS 0815, dated 0729-2020, internationally released map of Manchuria, also known as Manchuko or Manchukoku. I don't think that's an... Is that an out-of-the-ordinary map of Manchuria? That seems pretty... This that's map too big of for Manchuria? modern day, right? Yeah, it's um, too big for uh, modern Manchuria, right? I'd. This is probably like an early 1900s map of Ma- Manchuria. Uh-huh. Yeah, it looks like Manchuria never shrunk in size. That's what this is going with. <clears throat> Location: Harubin, Manchuria. Start log. Having arrived in Harubin two hours ago, Kitsukumi and Domino walk through the streets of Harubin. Crowds of ethnic Japanese and Soviet citizens dominate Harubin streets. Both Kitsukumi and Umino wear the Concordia costume, a standard Manchurian clothing based on the Imperial Japanese uniform with Manchuria flag pins on the collar. Uh, I'll be Umino. <clears throat> we got lost in the ice city of all places. Damn it. Hoshimi, you figured out what the coordinates are supposed to represent? Not yet. It all feels too foggy. Let's head to the industrial zone. I think that's the way. The Harubin industrial zone is filled with factories focusing on aeronautics, wood production, cigarettes, power plant equipment, food processing, and sugar refineries. Kitsukumi and Umino observe a group of five workers from one of the sugar refineries. Two of the workers have noticeable hand and facial scars. These workers banter with each other, sharing their food supplies. Kitsukumi frowns as she comes in contact with people, particularly when shabbily dressed inhabitants, identifying as disabled war veterans and homeless ex-workers, beg for her alms. Kitsukumi slightly grimaces but quickly nods. Ubino notices this. Kitsukumi, these guys don't really have much in life. Most of Harubins, and by extension Manchuria, don't have college education. Not because Japanese get priority, though that is a part of it. The Empire just overextended its power and reach. Anyway, they're stuck in these factories until they die of overwork or getting mangled by a machine. Haven't you seen these kinds of people in your family company? No, not really. I haven't visited one of my family's factories. Hmm. Situation is slightly better in the peninsula, but there's a reason why anything except for Japan and maybe Taihoku are called resource colonies. Sorry. Very sorry. Peninsular thing, mm-hmm. I guess. And not just among r- rich people like me. Most of us Koreans have been conditioned to feel um, Japanese that is superior in the imperial hierarchy. That even the lowliest person on the peninsula has an innate purity. I guess this belief made it easier for the Empire. I see. Well, anyway, just don't stare too much if you can't. No, that would defeat the point of it all. Um, alright then. Let's go to a small park next. We're supposed to meet someone there after that escape from the flag girl. By the way, Kitsukumi, keep a low profile. The Japanese branch has sent some grunts to patrol this place. At the park, Kitsukumi and Umino observe youths playing football, the primary sport of Manchuria. The youths panic as the ball is sent careening towards the plum trees near Kitsukumi and Umino. The ball then hits the canopy, from which a black hat then falls. What's with this floating hat? (sighs) That prankster again! Enveloped by blue flames, Umino suddenly turns invisible, and Kitsukumi panics. Oh no, an attack? How did they get here so quickly? 
Kitsukumi determines that her left hand is clutching a note. It reads, If you want to attack... No, if you want to see them again, go to the only cathedral of the city. On the verge of a panic attack, Kitsukumi slips out and reads a map from her pocket. Saint Saint Sophia Cathedral, eh? Kitsukumi paces through the primarily Japanese-style Harubin Central Street, bumping through the residents. The last of Harubin's signature European-style edifices had been demolished three years ago. The Saint Sophia Cathedral is the only remaining such building. Japanese Foundation agent Aishin Kakura, in plain clothes and patrolling Harubin, spots Kitsukumi. She then gives chase, prompting Kitsukumi to run quickly through the streets, slightly shapeshifting at every turn. Kitsukumi detours through a small park en route to the cathedral, and halfway through she gets blocked by a two-meter-wide flag. Aishin Kakura pulls out a gun and shoots twice at Kitsukumi, both of which misses due to gusts of wind. Dodging, Kitsukumi quickly casts a thaumaturgic spell and shapeshifts into a small fox to escape hurriedly. Aishin Kakura gives chase, riding a levitating flagpole in a broomstick-esque manner. Kitsukumi runs through multiple roofs and tree canopies, occasionally trespassing through home's windows. Meanwhile, Aishin Kakura attempts to wrap Kitsukumi using multiple flags sent at high velocities. Kitsukumi barely dodges as she enters one of the cathedral's small openings caused by disrepair. Aishin Kakura also enters. However, an entity, invisible save for a floating hat, grapples with her using wrestling techniques. Aishin Kakura manages to escape its grasp, but is soon recaptured and tied via thaumaturgic bindings. A panting Kitsukumi transforms back to her humanoid form. Meanwhile, Umino reappears, checking Kitsukumi for any injuries. Dawa, you idiot! Your little test nearly got her killed! SCP-7000 Dokebi fully manifests as a heavily tattooed female humanoid entity wearing antique clothing called a Hanbok. Sergio? <clears throat> Don't worry, kid. I was just protecting her when she was escaping. Anyway, we achieved the goal of capturing this agent. I didn't think it would be that easy. Aishin Kakura is silent for several seconds. A fox? A goblin? And when I assume to be a water dragon, I see they have infiltrated this deep. Kitsukumi embraces Umino for several seconds. Minoru, you're safe. And what do you exactly want? She glares at Dokebi. <laughs> Don't be angry, little Gumiho. Pranks are a Dokebi's way of greeting. Plus, haven't you realized that this girl here is a sharpshooter? Why do you think you, why do you think you didn't ever get hit? Just forgive her for now. She, she has a sense of humor. Don't be so rude. Anyway, I am Doa Kim, a Dokaibi. Similar to your Japanese Oni, I am a lady of tricks and good fortune, and of course, an ally to whatever you guys are planning. Good fortune, eh? Though I can see easily, I can easily see the tricky part. <laughs> anyway, my dear little fox, would you forgive me if I spill my guts out now? I can point you to a sword nearby. The Dokaibi chuckles. Dokaibi chuckles. Though, do tell us the news quickly, if that's what you mean by the spilling part. We're wasting enough time here as it is. Umino manifests bubbles of highly concentrated salt water to block Aishin Kakura's eyes and ears. Poor agent. 
Dokebi sits and consumes Ren bean rice cakes that it has stored in its bag. Anyway, let me preface this news with the following, saying luck is when preparedness meets opportunity. It truly is the golden time for us to move, you know. Have you sent out all your boys? Yep, they're busy putting themselves in the right place now, along with the invisibility hats and the magic clubs they need for the whole shebang. I passed out multiple scrolls. I also contacted many of my friends. Turns out the Empire doesn't didn't do a good job of cleaning us out. Lucky us. I see. Uh, you still have two more months to prepare, but it's good you finished quickly. Also, the piece of the dragon orb that my family entrusted to you? It's in a safe place, ready to be bought out for when the time finna comes. I face Kitsukumi. By the way, I'm really sorry, little fox, for those things earlier. <sighs> I just wish to ask something, Miss Doa. What's the comic convention really going to entail? For the answer to that question, I think our little Japanese agent here also needs to hear about it. What? What? Umino motions to her using a preset signal, stating that is all part of the plan. Umino disables the bubbles, muffling Aishin Kakura's ears, though her eyes remain shut. Dokebi puts its right hand on Aishin Kakura's head. But are you... Oh, a Manchurian native, a true blue subject of the Empire, who ironically knows some of the past. Let me tell you something, child. Encompassing a large chunk of the Empire's territory, the comic convention will fully show you the truth of the past, and all of what you and your kind have lost. We will be playing a game of public persuasion. P propaganda? SCP-7000 Dokebi sneers in response. No, the exact truth. You and your little Japanese branch may have caught wind already of the convention, but it is far grander than what you have hypothesized. If I am correct, you have a counter-operation called Operation Matsuri in the works, no? We will be looking forward to a grand showdown of wits and charisma in November. A fight? You very well know that the Empire has many resources to field, no? But pure grit and the right moves can undo whatever material advantage you might have. Never underestimate decades worth of simmering wrath and preparations. Tell your superiors that, alright? We will be waiting for you personally. Tell me something. Why deal a blow at Japan at this point? If the Empire fragments, multiple religions regions would be utterly destabilized. I know that you're, you're Korean, but don't you think that the vast majority of East Asia is already culturally and practically Japanese? You'll be dealing more harm if you think you can make them believe your truth. Dokebi remains silent for several seconds. It's still worth a try. Plus, don't you think with the way the Empire handled things that there would be a growing disappointment with the people? Hmm, don't you think there has been a surge of interest in the myth of, myths of old? It's the 21st century right now. A highly modern place different from the cities and villages of the past. It's a lost cause. Don't tell me you and your friends are going to rule the place, because that would only burn things down. Uh, it's a golden window of opportunity right now. The myths haven't fully faded yet, and they're in that sweet spot for nostalgia among the disillusioned people. The stars have aligned. We have competent people in our ranks. Anyway, why did you tell your whole plan to me? As a Sirium, you might know it as a sumo wrestler, I am a highly honorable being, so I announce my fights proudly. I thought that honorable Japanese like you would know. Dokebi signals Umino to deafen Aishin Kakura once more. 
Kitsukumi paces and looks toward the ceiling. This is a highly un- illogical thing to do, announcing things so openly, unless you're riling them up for something else. Smart girl, aren't you? My boys are numbering in the hundreds, also telling captured agents the same thing in different ways. A few of them did the same as me, brag about it. Others let the agents barely hear the plan. Many of us spouted different versions of the plan. It's a gambit. It's highly likely that they'll make their own convention or festival much grander than what we could ever realistically do. And that's the key to Operation Filibusterismo. Don't tell me you're planning to subvert... Doa, so much for your declaration of honor back there. Dokebi laughs. Oi, I just remembered. You're one of those people who draws manga about us Koreans, right? Umino told me something about that once. You know, for morale and propaganda purposes. What of it? Try to make me look sexy there, okay? Who knows? Maybe some Japanese are into that thing. I will give you some of my prized jelly cakes after Operation Filibuster Remote. Busterismo if you do that. Kitsukumi size and log. Nice. Shall we continue? Yes. 7001 Manga Catalog. The Operation Filibusterismo Committee reevaluated SCP 7000, concluding that its performance can be efficiently optimized if the duo focused on creating propagandistic material instead of additionally allocating time for field duty. Thus, They were ordered to stay at clandestine Philippine Site 815 until Phase 2 of Operation Filibusterismo commences in November. The following excerpts originate from the literature produced by Kitsukumi and Minoru during their stay at Site 815. The selected texts presented here are based mainly on SCP-7000's experiences. They are one of the best performing duos of the project, according to quality and quantity standards. All of their works will be presented in the upcoming comic convention in November. Two of the comics, narratives... 7001 and 7002 have also been adapted for animation. Filed under document type NAR0815. A panel from the Dragon Ball manga written by Meiko Toriyama and Kitsukumi. That's that's funny. It's it's like a parody Dragon Ball with like weird Goku and weird Bulma. Notes, co-illustrated by Kitsukumi and Meiko Toriyama. It is based on one of the cancelled works of Toriyama's father, banned due to its use of the famed Chinese character Sun Wukong and its depiction of a fascist empire. Well, that's cool. Start synopsis. At the start, a simian youth beats a heavily injured girl capable of transforming into a water dragon. The girl tells him that the dragon is on a mission to retrieve the seven pieces of the eponymous Dragon Ball. Based on the Asian concept of a draconic orb, a major source of mythical draconic powers, which are scattered through the eastern continent. Once all pieces are gathered, they reform into the Dragon Ball, which would give the girl the power of creation. The water dragon aims to recreate the flying utopian cities of old, where its fellow mythological entities can live in peace with their culture revived amidst the rule of the Red Ribbon Empire. Born in the hinterlands of the Red Ribbon Empire's mainland, the simian youth desires to tag along, wanting a sense of adventure. In exchange, he gives one piece of the Dragon Ball, inherited from his dead grandfather, to the girl. The duo travels through the continent in search of the pieces. Throughout the 15-part series, entities such as a prankster demon and a shape-shifting vulpine woman join them. As the simian youth becomes stronger and more adept at martial arts, 
They fight through multiple androids, imperial soldiers, and assassins, which can travel through the trees. The Empire also realizes the potential of the Dragon Ball, and manages to collect several pieces. At the climax, where everyone meets and is engaged in an all-out fight, the simian youth, mortally wounded, entrusts the Water Dragon Girl to make the correct decision. After fighting against the top general of the Empire, the Flag Maiden, who can manipulate eight flags, the Water Dragon retrieves the Dragon Ball and makes her wish for a utopia. The manga then ends on a flash of light emanating from the ball. Start of Commentary, Minoru Umino I first saw this manga a month ago. Well, at least some of its burnt-out chapter pages, when I was rummaging through the embassy's catalog. From what I could read, it seemed like a generally light-hearted boy-meets-girl action-adventure story, peppered with a little bit of weird, lewd jokes. After consulting with Hoshimi and our team leader, Sato, we decided to contact the daughter of the author. The author, apparently, had escaped to Manchuria following an arrest attempt in the 90s. The daughter, meanwhile, took up an art-related illustration job for a newspaper. After a little convincing, the, doctor, uh, the daughter agreed with Hoshimi to revive the series, and based on my own experiences, the hidden notes of her mother. The idea of a yoju of orb serving as a dragon ball came primarily from me. It was pretty easy to integrate into the story. For some reason, though, the girls wrote the water dragon as a clumsy spy with a tendency of making electronic components explode. That fox probably took inspiration from my old stories at the Philippine training camp. The orb, though, it's not that easy to use. I currently have six pieces of the real Yoju orb, three of which are taken by my grandfather when they made the run. A flight for the Philippines. The rest of the pieces are hidden by those that stayed in East Asia, such as Lord Hete, there to hold it until the time comes. Uh, still, if I ever have to use it, my body will really pay the price. I'm too young to use the orb of heaven, but I'm afraid that I might have to do it. I'd long accepted as the heir of the Umino clan. I have to accede to the desires of the Philippines. In exchange for reviving the culture of Korea, as my grandfather and father both wanted, I have to take advantage of any opportunity offered to me, even if it means that I get treated as a tool or a pawn. Geopolitics on a grand scale doesn't... Uh, it just offers scraps of luck for people like me, after all. Filed under document type NAR 0815. In 10.06.2020, we have Narrative 7002. Notes, written and illustrated by Kitsukumi. The title and premise are references to The Peach Blossom Spring by Chinese poet Tao Yuanming, one of the few pieces of classical Chinese literature studied in SCP-7000 due to its utopian content. Nekoro Kokoro, a young Nekomata, which is a feline shape-shifting entity hailing from Japan, is a resident of the Yellow Sea Integration Zone, YSIZ, a utopian city levitating above the Yellow Sea, a body of water straddling China and Korea, who finds a lost fox girl setting up camp near her dimensional machine. The fox girl originated from an alternate timeline embroiled in a cold war. The nature of the conflict is unclear, but it involves a team-up of the Japanese Empire and the Soviet Union. The Fox Girl hopes to determine how to gather materials for establishing racial harmony by investigating the lives of the residents of the YSIZ. As a slice-of-life series, the Fox Girl and the Nekamata deal with a mischievous, highly heavily tattooed Korean goblin who often engages in sumo with a red-masked tengu, one-footed peony dancers from the mainland, ghosts, water dragons who operate as taxi drivers, and lunar jade rabbits. 
the fox girl also gains fame as a talented Hanafuda player. She would often compete against a half-Japanese player hailing from the Philippines. The series' final arc involves a Christmas festival, where the fox girl, having received orders to return to her timeline, bids goodbye to the Nekamata at a shrine. As she disappears the strike of midnight, she promises to return, hopefully with her world in a better state. Start of commentary. Minoru Umino. Hold on, before before you continue, I... Yes. I, I, I feel like I know what this is referencing. I was watching a uh, an Alternate History Hub video on his, like, Alternate History Iceberg, and there's an anime like this. But, like, that has, like, a timeline and, like, like I'm, an alternate timeline. I'm sure timeline that there is. This, this is seemingly referencing anime and manga in some capacity. Yeah, it 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 doesn't. It's not like this exact same like title. Like it like like this is a real poem and whatnot, but it's under a different title. I don't know what it is, but I <laughs> I know it's referencing something. Huh. Mm, one sec. Umino's commentary. I can guess where the idea for this one came from. A group calling itself Avalon, apparently one of the few hundred groups in cahoots with us, sent us multiple copies of their manga a while ago. All of them focused on one thing. The idea of racial harmony, technology, utopias, and things like that. Hoshimi got utterly engrossed in reading these works, to the point that I joked that she might soon hallucinate about a talking cat. Apparently, Avalon is obsessed with including cats in their stories. Reading the whole thing, I felt that it was... Grossly unrealistic. Maybe Hoshimi also realized how difficult it is to write because she often complained to me about it. As someone who ground his scales for a degree in international relations and diplomacy in De La Salle, I often wondered what the story's Fox Girl thought about the economic system, politics, and daily relations of the Utopia's residents. While Hoshimi, a political science major, could explain well enough how some of these worked, I did not feel satisfied. Hoshimi did say something about this piece. It's based in a dream I had before, you know, and it's about realism. Sorry, I'm still trying to figure out how to be realistic. I haven't really interacted much with the masses after all, but I promise to try to know their life stories better. Perhaps I'm too uh, jaded. Multiculturalism never really existed in this world, save for maybe America in the past. The Philippines itself almost got torn apart along ethnic lines in the 70s during the height of the modern depression to the point that they decided to solve it the hard way. What more with the idea of Japan, Korea, and China coexisting peacefully with their own cultures intact? I do feel that there is potential, though. Most Japanese citizens I know are good and friendly people, and Hoshimi is practically Japanese in all but lineage. Maybe there's hope. All right. Narrative 03. Uh, do you want to do the narrative for this one, Serge? Uh, yes. Uh, right. Number three. An illustration of, for the not seeing his flower manga. Uh, you have a a woman with the anime shark teeth uh, holding up a book next to what appears to be some kind of computer programmer. Title, Not Seeing is Flower, a reference to the Japanese idiom, meaning reality cannot compete with imagination. Notes, created by Kitsukumi and Umino, is primarily based on a game titled Esprit, created by computer engineer Sawag Sawagiri Takeda. From game during game development, Takeda partnered with a Dokaibi named Miyachi. Based on data from seven thousand Dokaibi, Miyachi is specialized in delivering visions and dreams of what could have been. Esprit becomes one of the most popular games of the underground movements and is thus banned by the Japanese media authority. 
The manga starts with Takeda bemoaning his luck in the universe, as the latest product in the video game company he works has not obtained JMA approval. Said product involved a storyline of yokai, or Japanese monsters, working as as a crime-fighting ring in charge of cleaning the streets and allies of Haruben, alleys of Haruben. The JMA did not approve of it due to its gritty portrayal of Haruben, which ran contrary to Japanese propaganda. The company was marked with a warning for potential subversion. Miyachi then sporadically appears to him via dream, slowly convincing the disillusioned Takeda to create a game based on one of Miyachi's visions. Initially fearful for his life and career, as he remembered the multiple video game developers arrested in the recent decade, Takeda decides to make Esprit. Miyachi then later appears in physical form to help him with the art. Esprit involves an alternate universe where Japan, in a stroke of bad luck, joined the Axis side in World War II. Oh my god. Could you imagine that? That sounds crazy. Damn. I can't even imagine that. Unbelievable. They're, they're such a good, honorable country who would never attack anyone ever. Definitely not. At the end of the war, <clears throat> three of its cities, Kokura, Kyoto, and Niigata, received the brunt of the nuclear bombings, while its imperial order was completely dismantled. The protagonist is a servine yokai, or Japanese monster, who hopes to coordinate with fellow entrepreneurs to create a more progressive Japan. In the golden ending, Japan is at peace with its neighbors, while rap continues to rapidly progress in technology. Miyachi is also at work on a film, an animation film script involving the same premise and story as Esprit's. According to Miyachi, the script would be sent back to one of to the one who needs them. Takeda questions the idea of anime, saying that it was banned many years ago, until Miyachi declares that it should be revived. Miyachi further surprises Takeda by saying her employer has been turning out multiple amounts of animated films. Uh, technically true, the Philippines has discreetly produced approximately 300 animations, with lengths ranging from 30 seconds to one hour. All of these animations are used only for Operation Filibusterismo. And the audience will soon know the power of anime. Takeda and Miyachi then published the game, alongside their development notes and visions for the futures to underground channels, where they hastily make their escape. Based on the development notes, it's highly likely they joined one of the many underground workers' rebellion or cultural revival movements in Asia. End synopsis, start commentary, Minoru Umino. All right. <clears throat> an alternate universe again, I see. I do wonder if we're in an unlucky universe where everything in the war went just right for the Japanese Empire. Together with Hoshimi, I played the game that the manga featured. A few edges were rough and the Fox Girl was getting smug over how I made admittedly dumb political decisions, but overall it felt entertaining. Rereading the manga with the game in mind, its pacing of story flowed well most of the time. Unlike the utopian story illustrated by Hoshimi previously, I felt that the whole thing felt a lot more realistic. Something that could have actually happened. What did Miyachi peer into, I wonder? Are Dokebis really that cognitive? Perhaps in an alternate universe, Korea and China exist in a better state. But the Philippines is a sorry excuse for a country. Perhaps in an alternate universe, Japan could truly coexist with others and not conquer. Perhaps the utopias that Hoshimi and the Avalon group dream of could actually exist. But we're all in this timeline, where history just went well enough for the Empire to be on the right side and survive to the modern day. I occasionally wonder if the whole reason the Philippine branch is launching a crusade against the Japanese Empire is that its existence was an anomaly. Perhaps in the grand view of history, it wasn't meant to be. Though realistically, it can also be a lucky excuse to score some hits on the Empire for better trade deals and a stronger voice in the region. There's no harm in dreaming about the possibilities of luck, though. What matters the most is how we use what luck gives us at the moment. Narrative. How many narratives are there? Jesus, there's... Oh, is there... Okay, no. This is the last narrative. Giant. 
giant Umino thing at the end, though. <clears throat> Narrative 04. Notes, written and illustrated by Kitsukumi, based on her family records and stories, the actual existence of Wen Chong, the god which Kitsukumi's father allegedly contacted, is not yet confirmed. The illustration is a panel from the last chapters of the manga depicting Kitsukumi's father and Wen Chong. The mushroom cloud blooms over Juke, signaling the end of World War II and the capitulation of the Chinese government to Imperial Japan and the United States of America. Daigo, Kitsukumi's grandfather, expresses elation that the war ended early. Prime Minister Hideki Tojo recalls how China, aside from how ill-fated invasions of Vietnam, Tibet, and Eastern Russia, failed in being a viable access power and only imploded due to a mix of sanctions and internal issues. Tojo compares China to a, and Korea to a broken, ragged mess of flowers, saying that the Japanese intervention and that the nuclear bombing symbolizes the perfect art of ikebana, or flower arrangement. The mushroom cloud is a fluffy flower, he said, chuckling. Daigo Kitsukumi then assures Kawasaki that the Kitsukumi family and the Korean elite have fully acceded to Japanese rule. In the background, another member of the Kitsukumi family, Sawaki, remarks to a Filipino observer about the glee and awe of the Japanese involving the bomb. The observer then wonders how the Japanese would feel if two of their cities, Kokura and Kyoto, were hypothetically bombed. Sawaki responds that the Japanese could be incredibly distraught and angered at nuclear warfare. The observer simply chuckles. The manga fast-forwards to 1980, almost 40 years later. The vast majority of Korea has been fully Japanized, while the Kitsukumi Zaibatsu's Korean lineage has been diluted due to Japanese marriages. Kitsukumi then details how her father, a historian and the youngest of Daigo Kitsukumi's children, discovered Daigo's correspondences about selling out his country, and how the Kitsukumi Zaibatsu grew extremely rich afterwards using favors from the system. Her father, Haku Kitsukumi, then detailed how he had a fated encounter with a long-forgotten Chinese god, which Kitsukumi names as Wen Chang or Wen Chu. Majoring in Japanese history, he had chanced upon several ancient scrolls tucked between bundles of documents in a university library. These scrolls described Wen Chang as a god of culture, literature, and the truth. Additionally, it detailed how to call upon Wen Chang through prayers, incense, and rituals. Taking a secret trip to southwest China, her father prayed to a rundown temple in the middle of a cypress tree. After reciting the prayers in Chinese poet Du Fu's The Hope of Spring, strong gusts of wind passed by him. From within the temple, two humanoid entities, one a young adult male and the other a female clad in a round-collar robe with long sleeves, both emerge. The entities approach and hold his hands. The group walks towards a two-meter-wide sheet of paper hanging between two cypress trees. Her father and the entities then pass through the paper. He re-emerges in a heavily decorated temple and is soon greeted by Wen Chang, who resembles an elderly scholar. The two then converse and debate for hours. Haku Kitsukumi describes the whole process as an event that destroyed and reformed his sense of history. Not fully believing at first, Wen Chong pointed her father to different locations throughout China, Korea, and Europe, where multiple books, scrolls, and documents have been stored in secret. If he decides that they are consistent and authentic, then he may revisit Wen Chong. Seven years later, her father does so. 
The manga fast forwards further to 2020. Hoshimi Kitsukumi herself states that her father effectively disappeared, apparently after a warrant from the Japanese media authority. Alongside his letters, however, he left behind troves of information and research, secretly collected throughout two decades. Kitsukumi notes how her father was especially curious about early manga and the general comics industry in Asia, with him declaring that they should not have been left to stagnate and rot. The manga then detailed her father's tutorials on their general style and structure. Do you want to take this giant Umino note? Actually, no, it looks like this, yeah, we're I both can... going to talk through this. Do we? I don't know. That's weird. Yeah, looks like we both do it. Never mind. <clears throat> I approached Hoshimi after she made me read this piece. After being allowed to enter her loom, her room, I saw that she was staring out the window at that point, wearing her favorite flower kimono. Let me recall the conversation. Uh, so, Hoshimi, about your father? I wonder if I have made him proud. Looking back, the old man was engrossed in his studies, though he did make a point of playing with me as a kid, having at least one substantial conversation with me every day when I grew up a bit. I'm sure he has. I explained to her how she'd grown through the manga and illustrations, detailing the worlds of both the mundane and fantastical realities, how she'd been studying history and literature worth centuries of East Asian development and culture, most of which had been sadly burned under the rising sun. Your father was a historian who, despite his entirely Japanese education, managed to dare himself to critically reanalyze history. I'm sure he'd be proud of you, who also rose up to that challenge. I see. She looks at me. By the way, Minoru, do you know what's supposed to be the concrete difference between a kitsune and a gumiho? Um, uh, what? It's something called a fox bead. How do you say it in Korean? I got it. Yowu gusul. It's a bead that I put in my mouth. When I kiss someone deeply... I can pass the, on the bead to him. Then he gained some of my and my ancestors' memories. According to my father, my grandpa feared that his family would be hunted down due to this Yowu Gasul, which contained a lot of ancestral history. Your grandpa turned into a traitor because of him trying to save... Uh... Maybe. One hand, if he didn't do it, it's completely possible that my mother and aunt would have ended up as comfort women, sex slaves for Japan Japanese soldiers. All of our land and businesses would be confiscated and resold to settlers. It would have been a very tragic ending for a once aristocratic family. On the other hand, she then faced me. Oh, that's that's still her. Oh, well, one the other hand, as it as it says, I then face what? you. According to my father, mm -hmm. my grandpa once heard that the Japanese had captured a gumiho. This gumiho, which had already had nine tails, was called the, the vixen. Plus, this fox supposedly had rather screwed up morals. So, so her selling out the other gumiho, particularly the secret of the memories contained within a fox bead, wasn't with it, wasn't out of the question. In any case, she also likely got dissected by the Japanese, who would soon consider us a threat due to what we know. Your foundation hasn't ever recorded the vixen? Oh no, that's still her. I hesitated to tell her about SCP-953 which somewhat matched what she says. Our own records are extremely sparse regarding 953. We can't even fully confirm if it's an actual anomaly. 
When I read the file from the Japanese branch, I had doubts about how it seemed one-dimensionally brutal, deceptive, and bloodthirsty. It wouldn't be surprising if it was just a smear article to justify genocide against Gumiho. But if extremely genocidal empires can exist without much of a problem in this world, I guess these kinds of Gumiho can also do fine for at least a little while. I'm not sure if the Vixen is the one we recorded. The info is too inclusive, inconclusive. In any case, did the news about the Vixen scare off your grandpa into submission? Hmm, maybe. Maybe not. He was an opportunistic bastard who was already planning to collaborate with the Japanese for family prestige. What he couldn't do at the time was to fully convince the family, especially more dominant women, to follow him. Paranoia revolving around the vixen was a very good excuse. However, for him to repress the females, he told us to act like Kitsune, which are fox spirits that didn't have any beads. We didn't have much of a choice back then, and here we are, living almost like Kitsune. <sighs> Hoshimi was silent for several seconds after that. In any case, I think I should use my Yuo Gasul in a way that actually upholds the honor of a Kitsu the Kitsukumi family. Though, who should I share it with? She suddenly turned away from me. However, fluttering like plum blossoms, she soon approached me. I am not yet ready to give it. Still too early, and I'm sure that Miss Kinoka will hit me on the head if I do so. Plus, I'm not sure if I even deserve to give in the first place, since it's a unique thing to Gumiho. Well, tell me, do you feel like a Kitsune or a Gumiho? I'm practically a Kitsune. I feel like I'm lying if I said I'm a Gumiho. I honestly don't know much about the Korean spirit world. Well, not for lack of trying, since a lot of writings have been burnt, has burnt or rot. So... Hmm. She manifested her vulpine ears and one small brown tail. I have 900 years until I have all nine tails, and by that time I still might probably be thinking about this dilemma. As a kitsune capable of shapeshifting into multiple things, identities are fickle. Much more when you have an empire chasing after your tail. Minoru, what do you think? Well, why not do what your father did? Accept the good things that make you Japanese? Hmm, go on Minoru, let me hear it. She covers her mouth with a fan while chuckling. What I mean is, if you still feel like a part of you is Japanese, wouldn't it still be a Japanese thing to be honorable and civil? In the history books I've read, Japanese and Koreans can afford to be cooperative, particularly with being scholars and exchanging wisdom information. I mean, that's how the Japanese imported kanji from the mainland. Of course, this relationship, a lot of you know ups and downs, and they occasionally went to bloody wars with each other. But still, in the 17th century, Korea was one of the few trading partners of the isolationist shogunate, and they regularly sent envoys to celebrate each other in goodwill events known as tongsingsa. Uh, that's a new thing for me. In my history books, Korea was an overseas province since the shogunate started. They really made a big fuzz about the Japanese kingdom of Mimana and how it protected us. That's because of the Empire trying to rewrite history. Anyway, my point is that it's not out of the box for Japanese to be critical, scholarly, and openly minded. Therefore, it won't be... Strange for me to still be sort of Japanese while doing rather anti-Japanese things. You're too blunt, but yes. Hoshimi chuckles. Ito, I was trying to actually convince myself that I'm helping the Empire as a bona fide citizen. The Empire as a whole has stagnated. No anime, no manga, and very strict censorship rules on games and entertainments. Quite honestly, a boring country stuck in the past, which is bad. Long before we met, I had been hearing news of protests and rebellions, as well as the Soviets making a move. It wasn't long before something came out of that. I see. Well, it's not a bad perspective. 
Of course, I'm no Arminius, the, that German hero who could suddenly switch over from his Roman education and led his own tribe to victory. I'm just a simple fox girl, long due for a marriage interview, who managed to wrangle her way out of the Zaibatsu by gathering enough wits to form a breakaway faction and go on escapades with a dragon. In any case, Minoru, give me some time. With your words, I think I can sort this issue out soon. But I promise to be loyal to you. She turned away toward... Oh. She turned away and towards the window again. There's silence for several seconds. The moon. I hope it still shines beautifully in November. Uh, well, that was cool. I would say that we're close to the end, P- but we're still not even close. P- PSA to SCP authors. Because obviously you guys can't see. There is basically no indication in this conversation who is talking. Yeah, this this is, I, I will say, the quality of the SCP dropped somewhat in the course of this part of the entry. Um, I'm starting to get the feeling that I would have appreciated this a lot more if it was included as a tale. This was like a tale, right, Sergio? This is feeling very tale-ish. I don't have a problem with this SCP being a big narrative because this SCP-7000 is basically like a setting. Um, but th- this this commentary... Um, I mean, this commentary probably could have been like just hyperlinked into a tale, but there need there needed to be like said this person said this person because it's very it's very confusing um, to read through. I also wanted to make a comment mm-hmm. um, earlier um, about the the alternate history that is pre- presented here. Um, I kind of wish they would go into detail of like why the the allies would would ally with the japanese empire cuz just my like knowledge of like 40s politics and the united states i i, I know it's alternate history and like the there's like the japanese have so the ally but like is there a different president in charge are american values different cuz i cuz as presented i still don't think that america would have allied with um japan um Mm-hmm. In World yeah. War II, I, I guess the point is that they got insanely lucky. But um, aside from that stuff, like I honestly would appreciate this a lot more if it was just really interesting, solid alternate history. But this, I don't know. By this point, we're still not we're still not even close to done. By the way, it already feels like it's really, really like pulled out of the station away from what it initially started as. Um, I don't know. It feels like it's lost the forest through the trees, if you get what I mean. Because we're really, 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 really in the nitty-gritty with Umino and Hoshimi. And, like, that's fine, but Jesus, do we need this The Comic-Con. We're built, we need to see the Comic-Con that you've, been, that you've been teasing us with. You know, the big climax of the article. Well, let's... let's, yeah. let, let's let, well, before we judge it for not getting us there, let, let's get there, and then we can analyze it afterwards. All right. Alright. Oh my god. I <laughs> it's so long. Alright. Sovereign mission. Oh no. During operations for f- preparations for phase two, the leader of the occultist workers coalition movement, Saki Matsumoto, called for an emergency meeting to discuss his group's reluctance to fully participate in Operation Filibusterismo. Due to Umino's extensive experience with mainland politics, he was sent to negotiate with Matsumoto, with Umino citing security risks. Kitsukumi did not accompany him to the meeting, although she stayed in a nearby underground outpost. 
Sovereign Mission 7003. Papa Lundagen Moba Ang Isang Ila Sailang. I hope I'm butchering that as much as I can. I should try really hard to butch that out a little bit harder, actually. <clears throat> the meeting venue between Saki Matamoto, leader of the Workers' Coalition Movement, and Umino, which is a picture of a pretty stereotypical Japanese house with a nice tree. Before starting the meeting proper with Saki Matsumoto, an hour was dedicated to all participants watching an animation film called Volt In, produced under Operation Filibusterismo. Volt In is focused on five Earthling pilots of a 20-meter-tall robot called Volt, made to fight against a repressive Solar Dominion. The Solar Dominion is an interstellar oligarchic monarchy focused on forcibly assimilating egalitarian planetary states into a state of absolute uniformity and obedience. At the end, the pilots, who were nearly destroyed via missiles alongside Volt, inspire the abused workers of a central planet of the Solar Dominion to rebel, severely weakening it. Mr. Matsumoto, this film, Voltin, required the best of our animators and writers, and we needed to pour at least $10 million into making it. And that's without the do-it-yourself robot figurines that we have already mass-produced in a few factories. Umino places an assembled toy robot. But many of these will be wasted if you don't cooperate with us, Mr. Matsumoto. You know, kid, our issue is not about the effort. I know that whoever you are, Aviatica, isn't it? Which is a Philippine shell company, is rich enough to fund metric truckloads of these anime and other propaganda pieces. Umino raises his hand. So, Mr. Matsumoto, would you be... Our question is, what's the assurance that we won't be left hanging dry after all of these? You focus so much on the propaganda and the flashy stuff, but when the actual day of the revolution comes, you might suddenly wash your hands off of us. And also, what's the price? Uh, you want to know how much we've invested in this whole operation, Mr. Matsumoto? Two billion dollars. That's not accounting for the prior support we gave to you in the past decades. So you and your little band of occultists and workers' rights advocates can buy ammo and build up intel. The total amount we splurged is a good chunk of Korea's GDP, but we sure can't afford it. Matsumoto scratches his left cheek. So it really is a massive investment of your part, but still, what comes after all of it? All, after all this robot anime and propaganda? <laughs> a new beginning, Mr. Matsumoto. If you were to ever break off from our movement here, You'll be losing out your voice to speak out together again with the other workers' rebellion and cultural revivalist movements that we're currently bankrolling. It's a sad fate, considering that you're especially proud of your magic as a weapon of change. Too bad, though, that there are many more disillusioned residents in the Empire who can fill in for you. Hmm, are you underestimating me and my group? No, you're actually rather strong, especially with how you gathered a lot of influence despite being on the top of the Red List. But the Empire is something you can't screw with so easily, even if it's rotten to the core. It can still stomp you flat, even with your decades of occultist know-how and thousands of rallyists, Mr. Matsumoto. We're pretty careful with dealing with it. Think about why we're so focused on subversion and not an actual war, Mr. Matsumoto. Matsumoto scratches his heavily scarred left cheek. Ah, uh, it doesn't answer the question of what comes after all these, though. Would you puppet us, Koreans? Is the end game being that we become independent from Japan, but not actually free? You do have many of our information networks, propaganda, and even our supply chains. We can't. 
and that's the good thing for you. Once everything in the Empire comes to a boiling point, it would make it very hard for us to do something more substantial here. Being separated by thousands of kilometers will do that. You will functionally become independent, even from us. You and workers can set up shop all on your own, and you'll have all the room you could ever want for it. But there's this concept in our culture called Utang Na Lud. We poured $2 billion into supporting your activities, particularly your ammo, intel, and propaganda. We did so much for you, so wouldn't it make sense to at least stay as friends? Sang Busangjo, boy guska. They mean give and take in the old language. Are they what you mean? Mm hmm. Hmm, it's still a very complicated situation. We aren't even sure which country you came from. Some say you're funded by the Russians. Others say you're part of a secret Chinese enclave somewhere from the south. A few argue that you are a bunch of war profiteers from Southeast Asia. Sugurunga Padang Rusia Minsan Angalwan Namin and Muka Namanakong Tsino, which is Filipino for. Yeah, maybe. We do act sometimes like Russia, and I do look like a Chinese. Well, either way, you're way off the mark. But tell me, Mr. Matsumoto, do we even really have much of a choice here? Matsumoto slightly flinches and frowns. Let me recall an old story you told me a few months ago. As a man who has been alive and kicking since the 1920s, you have been unsuccessfully doing multiple uprisings and revolutionary attempts against the Empire. All of them were stomped down, but for some reason, you keep escaping and managing to de-age yourself with strange techniques. You've lost a lot of your family to the Japanese purges, and you even talked about how some of your subordinates were carted off to laboratories in Manchuria. You saw your culture wither away in this Empire. Umino pours another glass of wine for Matsumoto. But no one outside Korea cared. To the Americans, your Korea was a rebellious backwater Japanese colony. My country was an American puppet at that point, and we had to deal with a lot of ethnic troubles too. To the Soviets, you were something used to draw borders in the Far East. But now, you're lucky to have us. Someone willing you to go through thick and thin for you. Luck, eh? There's no such thing as a miracle or a lucky break on the geopolitical stage. Only trade-offs. Eh, maybe. Maybe not. But you finally have a chance to turn things around for your culture. It's no longer even about the culture at this point. That's why I'm rather confused about your intense focus on all that cultural rival stuff. It's been decades since the native culture on Korea has been extinguished, and even I can no longer remember about my childhood and the... 1900s. Fog of time has caught up so badly, it doesn't help that only a few of us remember the time before the Japanese came. So I don't per personally see it as pointless. Culture can't feed us, especially since it's been long dead. Hmm. Cultural revival, eh? You did tell uh, you did tell back a story about how your family wanted to restore the culture on this godforsaken peninsula, right? How you came all the way for your culture. Too bad it's not what the workers or even the common masses want. Umino stands up and drinks a shot of wine. He's silent for several seconds. You do have a good point there. Cultural genocide over the That's decades has certainly helped you. What? Oh, sorry. Cultural genocide over the decades has certainly held to deal with, 
and it's nothing like what happens in the movies. People just don't magically regain their culture and sense of pride after decades of oppression. <laughs> Some of them even go back to glorifying their oppressors. But you're forgetting something here, Matsumoto. First, I want to say that is absolutely true. Good on you, author. You just gave yes. me a little fucking like PTSD Twitter flashbacks. <laughs> what? Oh, wait, hold on. Uh, you want to wax yes, you're, poetic you're... about culture? Yeah, sure. Let me do it for a bit. <laughs> cultural revivals may not really feed mouths, but it can feed dreams. And if you want an actual revolution to succeed, you need a myth at the center of it all. A legend. Desperate masses don't just cling to promises of food and land. They need an idea. Even if the idea or culture itself is bastardized, people can base their egos and hopes on it. Even if the idea is false, right? Hmm. Sure. Millions can die for an ideology or culture that they might not really understand. Even the Japanese think that their samurai honor code, the Bushido, actually exists. When in fact, it was really invented by someone wanting to suck up to the Americans. We're all based on convenient lies, but it comforts their pride. And that is the important thing. Big words for a pawn like you. Well, it's not like I can talk. Even if I'm a pawn in the whole grand scheme of things, I can assure you they're all my words and that they're true. I wouldn't have graduated from an expensive as hell university like De La Salle if I didn't know how to make bola bola, which is Filipino for flattery. Well, enough talk for now. I want to show you something, Mr. Matsumoto, that will serve as my promise that this operation will succeed. On the other hand, it will signify whether you're willing to take the cards we offer you. Umino signals an assistant to unravel a thaumaturgic flying lantern on the meeting table. A lantern? It can transform into a mecha, you know. I call it Lantron, and it can fly, explode, and accelerate time. It's kind of like Voltin. If you want to get in the mood while activating it, you can even shout, Voltin! Trust me, it works. Really? Of course not. We don't have the budget to actually make it transform into a freaking robot. We're not making toys after all. It's true, though, that it can fly, explode, and accelerate time. If you think about it carefully, that's what a real mecha could do, couldn't it? Stop joking around, you damn rascal. <laughs> On a more serious note, this lantern is the best sabotage technology we can afford and sneak into the festivals. We've already mass-produced the lantern within our factories in southern China, Manchuria, and Vietnam, so you don't need to worry about running out of them. Once thousands of these lanterns explode at the designated time above a certain city, a very wonderful thing will happen to it. Via the meeting room's TV, Umino then displays a short snippet of a video simulating Phase 2 to Matsumoto. The details have been limited to prevent information leakage. Once the lanterns explode, communications can become limited throughout the city. Although, we will be sending in journalists and social media influencers to cover you, so we can make sure you get your voice out to the masses. Just how far are you willing to go? In any case, here's the deal, Mr. Matsumoto. If you back out from Phase 2 of Operation Filibusterismo, you lose out on all the opportunities that you can get from being an influential occultist member. And quite possibly... You and all your workers get fired or executed on charges of treason. I think we all know how paranoid the Japanese can be, right? 
Plus, if you hold your rallies without us, I'm not sure that many of you will be safe or even survive. If you agree, though, we would like you to... Cast all, cast all the necessary thaumaturgic spells on these lanterns. At the same time, we ask for your men to carry around the festival stalls and telescreens. We can't showcase all the animation without screens, after all. And how can we sell these toy mecha if we don't even have a table to put them on? Can't you send all your personnel? It's really a goddamn proxy war, isn't it? <laughs> Personally, I think you should see it as a way to trailblaze your own destiny amidst all the crappiness of this world. Plus, think of our help as just lucky charms. We certainly increased your chances, didn't we? Let me think about it for a second. You have the option of extinguishing that lantern. There's a creek nearby where you can jump off together with it. Though, why would you waste such a good and bright lantern? You haven't even let it fly yet, Mr. Matsumoto. All right, we will cooperate with you, but only for the festivities. After that... Mm-hmm. A new sun will be rising soon. On that day, the Taiguk Harmony would stand. That was much more interesting than the uh, the last stuff that we were reading. Although, I must admit, Sergio, I would really like to either take a break or get back to this some other day. I uh, I thought we would be done after an hour, but we're still not even like halfway done with the other stuff. Uh, okay. Yeah, I mean, if uh, I, I needed to head up for to grab uh, my, my parents need help with something for like 10, 15 minutes. If you want to break and finish this up or we can finish it tomorrow or what do you want to do? Uh, can we finish it tomorrow? I'm getting pretty tired. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Uh, <clears throat> uh, we will be back, uh, viewers, after our break. Um, cue the ads. Hello. Welcome back. Mm. Uh, it's been another welcome. day for us, and welcome. we are going to hop back into the mangaka in the high castle with the uh, <clears throat> No, it's not the been a day. It's been, it's been like a... Yes, thank God. It's been. It, it almost took us two hours of reading. <sighs> or we finally got into the climax of the of the thing. Let's see. This is the Matsuri Declaration, right? Uh, Imperial Festival Declaration Matsuri. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> All right. To the good and loyal subjects of the imp. Oh, is that? Oh, that's cool. That's the SCP Foundation logo with some form of. Japanese character in the middle. I can't read that. It's like a <laughs> Rising Sun SCP Foundation logo. Yeah. To the good old, to the good and loyal subjects of the Empire and of the Japanese branch, investigations indicate that activities undertaken by Mezame Type 14, a Japanese classification for Korean and Chinese anomalies aiming for cultural revival, Entities have increased in terms of frequency and intensity, particularly in the peninsula and Manchuria. While previous endeavors, such as Operation Hinode... Oh no, there's a hyperlink to another SCP! Does this go deeper, Sergio? Oh, I know what this... So, um... Uh, I was reading about this in uh, the 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 discussion because the author goes into how he made this SCP and uh, six eight fifteen was basically like his like foray into um, yeah yeah like a, a foray into like making an Asian based SCP. The author is Filipino and he was like, I want to see like how well like 
a Southeast Asian based SCP would do. So six eight fifteen was like the the beta test for seven thousand. So that's what it's linking to. Interesting. Okay. Uh, all right. Such as Operation Hinode have pacified chances of national awakening. Site 731 specialists and MTF ninja raccoon dogs raised urgent concerns involving a wide-scale Mezame-involved phenomenon, often referred to by captured entities as the Comic Convention. Available intel indicates that the Comic Convention is an attempt to showcase multitudes of cultural relics and propagandistic works, particularly literature and illustrations related to anomalous, anomalous peninsular and mainland cultures. Plans for the comic convention have been set into motion as early as two decades ago, with as many as 130 principal mezame anomalies funding and coordinating their schemes discreetly. They have opted to launch them this year, coinciding with the deep economic recession that the Empire is currently facing. As a counter-operation, the Director's Executive Committee of the Japanese branch of the Foundation has convened and decided to implement Operation Matsuri. Operation Matsuri is comprised of two parts. First is a grand stockpile of films, literature, poems, and play scripts created in the last decade, designed to overwhelm plots similar to that planned by the Mezame anomalies. With executive control of divine winds over the linked net, the Foundation Department of Propaganda can further amplify the effect. The second part, meanwhile, refers to live stage concerts, performances, and celebrity showcases to take advantage of celebrity worship of normal, imperial citizens. For proper conduct, Operation Matsuri sets the Japanese branch on Class A, Red Alert, dedicating a minimum of 10% of the branch's personnel and resources. The Imperial Army and Navy are also on high alert. Operation Matsuri will be fully realized during November, when annual imperial festivities are underway. Further benefits of Operation Matsuri are stimulated economic activity and boosted morale over citizens. With the recommendations of Site-731 and the Philippine branch, a significant amount of Japanese branch resources has been directed to Operation Matsuri's promotion. Meanwhile, one of the Empire's longtime allies, the Philippines, will serve as further assurance for the success of Operation Matsuri. In exchange for improved trade deals, the Philippines has delivered $200 million of assistance and funding to Operation Matsuri. The Philippine branch of the Foundation has also committed to sending approximately 13,500 personnel, many of whom are field agents and thaumaturgists to the Empire. Previously, many of these personnel have enthusiastically contributed to the end of the Mezame phenomenon, providing valuable intel on artifacts and entities. These artifacts were hoarded by the Philippines since 65 years ago and were planted into specific vantage points throughout the Empire. Entities are deemed insignificant to Operation Filibusterismo, and they were given warnings to escape. As such, they have been deemed trustworthy and committed to the Imperial cause. The Empire is not stagnant, nor is it overreaching. Operation Matsuri is a demonstration of Japan's superiority over anomalies and inferior entities, and it shall be the highlight of one of the Empire's most sacred months. The situation will be developed necessarily to Japan's advantage, Tenoheka Banzai! Philippine Announcement Concerning Operation Matsuri Code Kapag Tinangkan Itasang Tabal Lambal 
Epupotak Ang Isang Kapsula. I really, really, really look forward to the author listening to this episode and saying, Jesus, why did he pronounce it that way? <clears throat> Operation Filibusterismo Declaration. Let's... Oh, okay, this is the declaration. Padayon, people of the Philippine branch. Luck is what happens when preparation meets opportunity. Operation Filibusterismo is now in full force due to the geopolitical serendipity of the Japanese branch's actions. There were several means for the Japanese Empire to respond to the core gambit of Operation Filibusterismo. First is the most straightforward. Directly funnel their funds and resources into destroying the Operation Filibusterismo collaborators. They have attempted to do so with varying levels of success. However, the Empire is ossifying under the bureaucratic weight of holding the bulk of the great East Asian co-prosperity sphere, and more importantly, their deep economic recession is ravaging them. Second is more apt for the highly honor and superiority-bound culture of the Empire. Outmatch anything it deems inferior. The Philippine branch wagered that the Japanese branch will also possess the same outlook, and judging by the Japanese branch's response, it played its cards right. It also put its trust into the actions made to gain Japan's trust, using the artifacts and bloodline of Korea and China as tools, stock, and bait. Lastly, it is within the Philippines' luck that Japanese entertainment has stagnated over the last few decades, only relying on highly censored or supervised live-action dramas, literature, and more recently, video games. The wasted and disillusioned talents of the Empire have been recycled into uncontrollable inspirations. In a way, the lack of Japanese creativity in certain areas, such as comics, is a stroke of luck. There is no independently organized comic convention that will compete with the Empire's Operation Matsuri. After all, the comic convention is Operation Matsuri. The true meaning of filibusterismo, subversion, thus comes into play. All personnel, resources, and produced materials of Operation Filibusterismo, offline or online, are mandated to arrive at designated positions for the second phase. The takeover, lasting one day in real time, will be sufficient to deal a blow to the complacent empire. Should the empire be sufficiently weakened, the Philippines and its foundation branch moves further in establishing its brand of normalcy, based on three core tenets. Secure dominance and a stronger voice among all branches. Contain the possibilities of the sovereign dreams of superiority. Protect normalcy from oppression. The eight-rayed sun of the Philippines will triumph over the smoldering red sun. The Philippines offers the empire the following words. Mene tesel faris. Your days are numbered. Mabuhe ang mahalika. The next picture is showing paper lanterns released over Shinshu, accompanied by fireworks. For Phase 2 of Operation Filibusterismo, the pair was transferred to Provisional Site 444, 50 kilometers away from Heijo, Korea. Heijo is one of the key cities of northern Korea, due to its ancient cultural prestige, population, and industries. It is also the site of the Workers' Coalition Movement's planned protests, thus serving as an ideal location for Operation Filibusterismo. Filed under document, Type MIS-08. 1-5, November 1st, 2020, Sovereign Mission 04, Location, Heijo, Korea, formerly known as Pyongyang, Start Log, 
Kitsukumi and Umino are on a mission to patrol Heijo and monitor the progress of various Operation Filibusterismo personnel. Heijo is currently celebrating a variation of Gion Oroi, Japan's main November festival originally localized to Kyoto. At the opening of festivities, Heijo is currently packed with three million residents. Hundreds of stalls, fairs, and stages line the streets of Heijo. Their first stop is the Heijo no Yasukuni Shrine, which glorifies the soldiers and officials in charge of the Japanese invasions of Korea and China. Inside, a drummer hits a one-meter-tall Mitsudomo taiko drum, signaling all residents in the vicinity, totaling up to a hundred, to enter and pay their respects to the shrine. Umino signals a hesitant, hesitant Kitsukutumi to enter the shrine's Torii gates. Kitsukumi is pouring water on the left and right hands via a ladle as a mandatory purification ritual. Shouldn't we go away? The shrine is something we shouldn't pray to, right? Just play along for now. We have to first check the people out here. At the main hall, Kitsukumi and Umino wait for their turn to ring the main bell and make five yen offerings. Umino rings the bell again, thrice this time, before also clapping thrice. Are we we supposed to ring the bell and clap twice only? That's a signal. Look, that shrine maiden over there, the one with brown hair, a lamp in hand, and a bird perched on her shoulders, is looking at us. That's our accomplice. Umino then sends a small stream of water upwards, where he directs it towards the Shrine Maiden. Approaching the alerted Shrine Maiden, the stream of water forms into rows of small kanji characters containing the checkup message. The kanji characters disappear after five seconds. The Shrine Maiden then blinks the lantern thrice. They're A-OK. Let's go now, Kitsukumi. This shrine is going to blow up in the next few hours. Next stop is the theater. At the shrine's gates, Kitsukumi nearly bows as a sign of respect, but stops herself. Hoshimi. Don't you think that the gods should bless us, since we did all the proper rituals? <laughs> I wonder. They then course through the Seikai, Seikai Mandori Street, leading to the Heijo Grand Theater. The theater, formerly dedicated to revolutionary operas, had been renovated into a film-centered establishment. Umino then sends another stream of water towards one window. It then returns. What was their response? <clears throat> I hate to break this to you, but the anime our personnel were carrying suddenly became anomalous and trapped in the anime's worlds. We gotta free them. What? What? I'm, I'm, I'm just joking. The Dokebi in charge of taking over the theater managed to shapeshift all our personnel inside and then knocked out all of the original Japanese staff. They're busy configuring the theater software with the anime films we produced. They asked us a favor. Hoshimi, can you change the film billboard to instead feature the anime film's titles? Uh, sure, but won't it reveal our positions too early? Kitsukumi then takes out the anime primers and begins chanting her pertinent spells to accomplish the task. Uh, no, not really. Just, you know, make sure that it makes people think that they're really the titles scheduled for the theater. A mechanical bird sent from the propaganda division approaches Umino, providing him with a news scroll. In exchange, Umino jots down notes and gives them to the bird. All right, at this point, everything's a-okay. The last stage would be to get to the show warehouse. Walking there would take us through the heart of the city and into the outskirts. Wait, isn't that where you'll be getting ready to fly the propaganda packages soon? Yep, 
In three hours, phase two will officially begin. Walking to show warehouse will need at least an hour. Uh, an hour and a half. Then, another hour for me to transform and get the packages loaded onto me. I see. Hey, I can take you back to Site 444 if you want. At least you're safe there. No, no, I think you should see this through to the end. Okay, then. Let's just enjoy the festivities for now. The pair then arrives in the Grand Pavilion, filled with bustling shops for food and stationery, towering bathhouses, and Hejo's MRT and LRT lines. They then ride the train, disembarking at the Takakuni, the Takuni Plaza station. Several hundreds of citizens, young and old, have gathered in the plaza. A group of intricately dressed geisha perform a flower dance, which the two watched. Kutsukumi rejects several beggars approaching her for alms. She then notices policemen silently taking them away after the event. Hey, don't pay attention to them. The police here like to keep every man and woman here happy. They aren't counted as people. They then proceed to the Silver Horse Mega Market in the Eastern District. They haggle with an old scarred vendor for fried liver. Afterwards, they approach a maker of flying lanterns. Oh, young lady over there, and oh, a favored customer. The lantern maker quietly, quickly chants a spell, to which Umino responds by clapping thrice. How are the sales? We nearly got discovered by the Japanese branch. Many of their agents, I think around 23, are around prowling the streets. Looks like they caught some wind of the whole thing. They checked the flying lanterns. I thought they got distracted enough by the comic convention's fake locations. Did they see them? No, we haven't fully applied the spells to them yet. That's going to happen in one hour, and the final touches will be applied by batch. Plus, the vast majority of the flying lanterns are in the Philippines' factories and warehouses. Is the girl part of those who will defend the city in the takeover? Kitsukumi nods. Well, good luck to both of you, then. Let's hurry, Umino. Kitsukumi and Umino then pace through the busy streets, where vendors sell yakitori, takoyaki, candy, oh, oh, thorns, sushi, and rice rolls. They briefly stop in front of a digital screen explaining the fabricated Japanese origins of flying lanterns, which are originally only used in Korean and Chinese cultures. Starting since the rule of the most honorable Emperor Daigo and the proud Japanese of the peninsular kingdom of Mimana meant to symbolize resistance against invaders in the mainland. These are all false, no? Yep. The Japanese had the idea of assimilating flying lanterns into festivities, probably because they were pretty. So they created a whole mythology behind them. Very effective, honestly, since even the Philippines didn't know at first what they were for. But now we're going to take them back to where they should belong. I see. Ja, should we enjoy them then as a sort of advanced celebrations? If you want to, though, I think it's a bit too early. Kitsukumi chuckles. The Grand Imperial March, composed of a thousand soldiers from the Chuhei and the Higashidainri barracks, is starting to assemble near the city center. On the other hand, protesters in the opposite district are congregating in buildings, ready to come out upon the signal. In a secluded area, Umino is sending out streams of water upwards to serve as messages to various collaborators. Meanwhile, Kitsumi is buying various mementos, including a fox mask near the shop. It is one hour before the climax of Phase 2 commences. You know, Umino, I have a question. This is it, right? I mean, yeah. 
this event's going to be the culmination of an operation that's been years, decades in the making. It's pretty much the luckiest opportunity Koreans, Chinese, and the Philippine branch will ever have. I see. Kitsukumi stops walking. She then takes off her fox mask and clutches it tightly. The whole Japanese empire and its foundation branch will soon probably take action. The whole thing, after all, is objectively an anomaly. Even the officials back at Site 444 don't know what will exactly happen afterwards, especially to us, too. You'll be flying through Korea delivering stuff while I'll be uh, helping out in setting up the lanterns and time barriers. Both are extremely risky, though. Hopefully, things will work out. Kitsukumi tries to smile, but she falters, coughing from the smoke in a nearby stall. She nearly bumps into a small youth. Hey, watch where you're going. He clutches Kitsukumi's shoulders. Let's keep going to the warehouse. I know a secluded spot near there where we can see the fireworks and the lanterns really well. Are you looking for one last good time with me? (laughs) Uh, You could say that, yeah. The pair then takes ten minutes to travel to the said spot. It's a desolated Buddhist shrine, albeit with an intact bench where they sit. Kitsukumi partially wears her fox mask on the side of her head. The pair stay silent for a few moments. Minoru, as a writer and illustrator, I wonder if this is really how our story together should be. I occasionally dream about a sort of what if. What if I didn't find any letters from my dad? What if I didn't bother drawing silly little comics to share with revolutionists? You know, that sort of thing. We would never meet, right? Hmm, probably. Though, I'd still be kicked to this godforsaken empire to do dirty work. It would be extremely unlikely for us to meet, though. Even if it's just a second long eye look. Hmm, say, Minoru, do you think we're lucky enough to have gone through all this stuff together? Hmm, perhaps quite? No, I'm definitely sure that the answer is yes. Kitsukumi covers her face with the mask. You're definitely there didn't sound too definite. Hmm, well, even if Operation Filibusterismo rattled the Empire, I'm sure that your family will bear its effects, and you'll still be safe and sound, but... I personally think that our story up to now is a good stroke of luck. You get to write your manga and have adventures an ordinary person wouldn't have in their lifetime. Meanwhile, I wouldn't have to always go curse my luck in getting assigned admissions. <sighs> the pair is silent for a few minutes. Soon, fireworks light up the sky, while bombastic orchestral music can be faintly heard from the pair's location. Kitsukumi turns and embraces Umino. It's almost time for us to head to our stations. <coughs> Sorry. Ha, do you still remember the Yowu Gusul, the fox marble that Gumiho kept in their mouth? Did you know that it's for good luck? I, 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 I thought it contained knowledge. A book I once read said that good luck is merely a result of multiple calculated moves made through the power of wisdom and foresight from available information. When you will soon be flying, you will need a very good awareness of your surroundings, you know. Umino stays silent, his eyes closed. Hmm, I guess it's time to act like an actual young lady for once, stands up and bows. In any case, let me express my gratitude for letting me experience all these. Thank you very much, too, for letting me have the chance to redeem my family's name. Umino also stands up. You're welcome, Hoshimi. All right, then. Um, let's go to the... Kitsukumi then kisses Umino, delivering the Yobu Gusel. After the kiss, Kitsukumi hurriedly puts on her fox mask, and the two are silent for several seconds, although Umino 
grasps one of Kitsukumi's hands. That was that that was you know for good luck, right? And anyway, uh, I hope tomorrow we can wake up to a world where the moon shines more beautifully. Then, please take care of this airheaded fox girl in front of you, Minoru. Umino sighs and embraces Kitsukumi. Sure, Oshimi. Let's do our best then. Several flying lanterns float amidst the fireworks. They soon begin their thaumaturgic mechanisms for mimetic influences. Operation Filibusterismo signal flares also cross the sky. Ooh, yeah, Let's baby. That's what we're waiting for. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Oh my god, finally. Jesus. All right. Operation Filibusterismo timeline log. Oh my god, that last Sovereign mission is so long. Oh no, it's actually not that bad. Okay, Philibus Reason Timeline Log, here we go. Alright, this is at uh, 2 in the morning. 10% of all flying lanterns launched throughout SCP-7000 during the November festivities. A total of 120,000 manifest their thaumaturgic capabilities. They first envelop the target city in a temporal manipulation barrier, accelerating the flow of time within the city. In theory, one day inside the time barrier is equal to half a day outside. As a result of this, most communications outside the city have also been cut, aside from the linked net. Second, they emit a mild mimetic effect on the populace, urging them to consume the media and propaganda used in Operation Filibusterismo. Third, they explode near military barracks, as well as Japanese branch sites. Through proxy networks set up in SCP-7000 and its neighboring countries, the Philippine branch conducts multiple large-scale cyber attacks on government facilities and Japanese branch communication networks. The hacks were based on Foundation cybersecurity protocols shared between international sites, as well as Japanese branch protocols obtained via infiltration and social engineering. Sufficient care has been taken in avoiding servers needed for containment of the Japanese branch's anomalies. Furthermore, Japanese social media sites and their linked net in general have been flooded with content, such as manga and animation, related to Operation Filibusterismo. SCP-7000's Divine Wind protocol for their linked net has been partially circumvented, although Japanese branch web crawlers and cybersecurity specialists have stemmed progress. I think that's a stymied progress. <clears throat> At four in the morning, stalls providing manga, comics, illustrations, and art for free have been launched throughout a total of 79 cities, including Heijo. Multiple telescreens showcasing animation have also been installed in conspicuous locations. Additionally, deep fake videos depicting the apologies of major Japanese officials, such as Yusei Tojo and the Emperor, have been prepared. These videos focus on apologies in terms of displaying the truth of our shared history. To provide plausible deniability... Multiple Philippine factories, embassies, and establishments were severely bombed or damaged by Operation Filibusterismo personnel. Philippine branch agents present in the region have vowed to superficially cooperate with the Japanese branch. The time barriers, supported by Scranton reality anchors, and the thaumaturgic chants of personnel such as Kitsukumi, withstand multiple attacks and bombings from the Japanese branch, which has been mobilized faster than expected. Kitsukumi and other content creators with thaumaturgic capabilities are located in their own stalls, alternating between catering to customers and festival goers while chanting. At 6 in the morning, approximately 740,000 Korean and Chinese entities, such as SCP-7000 Heitei and SCP-7000 Dokebi, are now present and active in assisting Operation Filibusterismo forces in repelling the Japanese branch. Heite, currently located in Heijo, has been thaumaturgically neutralizing fires and reality manipulation bombs dropped on the city. 
Meanwhile, draconic entities such as Umino have been delivering animation telescreens and comics throughout rural areas in Korea, Manchuria, and China. Umino, in particular, was soon redirected to the Yellow Sea, the body of water separating Korea and mainland China. The region has multiple Japanese branch sites and SCP-7000's Navy bases, all of which are on red alert. In the region, Umiho and his companions have to contend with dogfights against jets and airplanes deployed from aircraft carriers. They were considerably damaged from energy blasts from the experimental thaumaturgic guns of ships such as Yamato. Furthermore, the Japanese branch set out MTF-1 cowhands. Composed oh, of shrine the funny Half-Life one, I'm pretty sure. That's Close not Lambda, that's a Japanese character. Oh, whoops. What? What What the fuck do you mean that's Lambda, you motherfucker? So, so, so I looked at it, it was like... Which one is this? <laughs> I'll admit, it, it looks similar to Lambda, but it's oh, not... Oh, it's N. It's, it's the Japanese kana for N. Ah, uh, okay. N1. Composed of shrine maidens, thaumaturgic specialists, and monks, MTF-N1 was airdropped from planes and fought draconic entities while in parachutes. Umino and the other water dragons then stayed in an instructed vantage point in the middle of the Yellow Sea and activated his hydro-manipulatory abilities. Why does he not just call it hydrokinesis? This has irked me the whole article, and I have to say it now. It's hydrokinesis. Yeah, hydrokinetic. Yeah, hydrokinetic abilities or hydrokinesis. You don't have you don't have to say hydro manipulation. During this process, they were protected by their compatriots, and after thirty minutes, a low pressure was created in the region with multiple whirlpools and storm surges. Multiple wounded dragons have also conducted kamikaze attacks on the bases themselves. Meanwhile, MTF and one specialists have also besieged cities taken over by Operation Filibusterismo. Within six hours of the takeover, nine cities had been retaken, although the vast majority of Philippine branch personnel and Korean-Chinese collaborators had either escaped or self-terminated. Fifteen percent of all collaborator entities have been redirected to Japanese branch sites, such as Site 335, 731, and 333. The vast majority of these entities were terminated by the sophisticated defenses of the sites, although they managed to divert or waste personnel and resources away from Operation Filibusterismo hotspots. At 8 o'clock in the morning, approximately 126 million residents throughout SCP-7000 are still affected by Operation Filibusterismo. Surveys taken by personnel indicate that 61.3% of the respondents feel a mixture of confusion, interest, and disillusionment against SCP-7000 after consuming Operation Filibusterismo. On the other hand, the Japanese branch has managed to repel a considerable amount of the cyber attacks and have regained control of the Divine Winds protocols and SCP-7000's linked net. It has also mobilized the standby Japanese army forces. Worker rights, cultural revival, and formerly underground revolutionary protests and rallyists have also broken out in 40 cities still under Operation Filibusterismo. At least three cities in northwest and northeast China have been taken over by independent rallyists. The Japanese branch has successfully used Inui-level amnestic agents and MTF forces on 23 cities, breaking them away from Operation Filibusterismo control. Philippine branch mimetic agents, however, have stemmed the effects. 
At noon, Operation Filibuster Isma forces and collaborator entities, now only operating at 51% capacity after all the attacks, are preparing to escape. At this point, most objectives of Operation Filibuster Isma have been met. Remaining Japanese social media sites have been inundated by propaganda, while multiple announcements have been released, declaring the festivities to be cancelled. Meanwhile, amnestic agents targeting memories of the Philippine branch among the majority of collaborator entities have been released. Japanese branch forces have been severely weakened and scattered throughout the vast reaches of SCP-7000. Analysis indicates that destabilization is underway, particularly in the northern and southern regions of China as well as Manchuria. Breakdowns of the veil within SCP-7000, particularly in more distant Chinese territories, is also expected. However, regions and territories near the Japanese home islands, such as South Korea and Taiwan, are still stable. Depicting Kitsukumi and Umino in the final hours of the operation, a log illustrating the Operation Filibusterismo escape plan has been provided below. Oh, one sec, I gotta be right back. Pause it. Also, I just oh, wanted right. to say, uh, if 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 Umino and Kitsukumi do not make it out of this, I'm changing my upvote to a downvote. Okay. Operation Filibusterismo Sovereign Mission Seven Thousand O Five. Ano Ang Mapapawi. Location, Heijo, Korea, formerly Pyongyang. Foundation-made thaumaturgic time sinks have been set to self-detonate. The time-accelerating barriers are on the verge of collapse, while the remaining flying lantern weapons have been deployed. Signal lanterns are blinking thrice every three seconds, indicating retreat mode. During retreat, however, Kitsukumi was separated. Damn it. Where are they now? She up <sighs> No signal. I guess this is it then. Kitsukumi disposes of her bulkier equipment and lights them on fire, while she transforms into her vulpine form. She then begins to run through the streets of Heijo, which have been emptied of citizens and personnel. She courses through partially destroyed buildings, although she becomes cornered by an array of flags suddenly blocking her path. Five beeps can be heard in the vicinity. Japanese Foundation branch agent Nao Aishin Kakura, alongside MTFN1 shrine maidens and priests, corner Kitsukumi. They fire their thaumaturgic exorcism guns and spears at Kitsukumi, wounding her shoulder and transforming her back to her humanoid form. I see, fox girl. We've met in the past, haven't we? It's unfortunate for you that this is how it ends. Kitsukumi fires a fire-based thaumaturgic spell towards her pursuers, but the Shrine Maidens swiftly block it. However, she then manages to escape towards another building. She positions herself in a narrow corridor where she successfully wounds one agent. She then transforms back into a fox and digs her claws beneath the ribs of one of the agents, conducting a pinpoint attack on the liver. She manages to heal back by ingesting the blood from the liver, soon escaping. In an open area, she launches a rescue flare. Multiple flags fly towards her, stabbing one of her legs. She then shifts back to a humanoid form and vocalizes a call for help. MTFN1 surrounds and prepares to exercise and neutralize her. MTFN1 agents now chant purification prayers. Furthermore, they dance using taiko drums, leaf branches, and paper fans for the ritual, imitating the moves of yaigaki and no plays. Kitsukumi attempts to crawl away, but her arms are pinned down by Japanese flags. It's such a shame, isn't it? But this is a small price to pay for what you all did to the Empire. The Japanese branch is doing its best, but I wonder if it's enough. 
Soon hungry ravens might descend upon the empire, and all people living it will suffer the brunt of the chaos. Aishin Kakura offers a cigarette to Kitsukumi, who is currently accumulating injuries from the ritual. And she coughs on the blood. Don't you have somewhere else to be? Aishin Kakura sits down next to her. Hmm. I guess I'm too responsible for cleaning up messes. Anyway, you... You're a defector from a family of traitor fox. Hmm? I wonder if you've really fulfilled your goal. Because your country might end up puppeted by another. Kizukumi's body has considerably faded due to the purification ritual. However... High-pressure jets of water target and scatter MTFN-1, while groundwater erupts beneath Kitsukumi. A film of water envelops her, and Aishin Kakura is considerably injured in the process. Meanwhile, SCP-7000 Heite lands near her and emits a roar, shattering nearby windows. In the distance, Umino's draconic form is seen flying, blocking multiple roads with one-meter saltwater bubbles. Several Dokebi also arrive via levitating logs, followed by SCP-7000 Dokebi herself. Heite's remaining eye is wounded, while its scales have sustained severe damage. Meanwhile, Umino has gaping holes and severe burns on its arms, chest, and neck. SCP-7000 Dokebi is mildly injured in comparison. <sighs> Never thought that I would lose my last eye in an honorable battle. It is a battle well fought, isn't it? Heir of the Mireu Nilmugi. <laughs> the young fox still breathes. We made it just in time. Good. Umino cradles Kitsukumi. Hoshimi, are you still awake? Mm, Umino, you're still here. I think you were Dokebi. Oi! Right? <laughs> yes. Oi, you two be careful. The Shrine Maidens and the Flag Girl are back on their feet. Dokebi orders its subordinates to battle Aishin Kakura and MTFN1. Lion, dog, dragon, fox, and demon! Damn it. So you really are all in the same place. Aishin Kakura waves two Japanese flags in each hand, waving them in a circular, circular motion, cycling around. Multiple patterned energy blasts strike Dokebi. Aishin Kakura then plants a flag deeply on the ground and rapidly manifests a row of flagpoles which nearly skewer Umino and Kitsukumi. Dokebi and its subordinates then lunge towards Aishin Kakura, fighting using their clubs against Aishin Kakura's flag and sword. The Shrine Maidens of MTFN1 fire at Umino and Kitsukumi using their automatic rifles, but Umino summons a shield of rapidly solidifying seawater. Was that a good fight? Did my Yogasul help you? Yeah, yeah. I can see the ships and the jets in front of me much more clearly. Kitsukumi then grabs onto Umino, kissing him. It's somewhat spent now, but there's still a lot of remaining. Please, use it as much as possible. D don't. Don't worry. We'll get you out of here, okay? Umino, make me promise something. Once all this ends, let's go back to writing and drawing, okay? I wonder what kinds of stories we'll have. Okay, okay, I'll try as much as possible to do that. I'll, I'll just make sure that you're safe first, though, okay? Doa, can you get here from with, you, from with Hoshimi? 
Dokebi had mostly repelled MTF N1 into retreating at that point, at the cost of several subordinates and a wounded arm. At this point, Kitsukumi has become unconscious. Sure, kid. I know how to get out of here. Though, me thinks that I heard some bad news about the retreat. Wh- what? We were supposed to scoot out through some subs and boats in the Yellow Sea as your Operation Fellow whatever folks told us. The routes, though, are blocked by Nihon gents and soldiers. We'll need some firepower to go through them. I... I... I see. Umino remains silent for a moment before he summons his Yoju orb. SCP-7000 Heite gasps slightly, but also falls silent. Mm. One wonders if you're truly prepared to make that decision, heir of the Miryu and Umugi. Using it for something so grand will utterly destroy your mind and body, to be frank. Here, let me serve in your place when it comes to clearing the routes. I am the protector, and I am ready to shed my blood on the soil of this nation. You might still speak like that, but you look like a statue that's seen better days, Lord Heite. You won't last out there. Mm, well, I accede to that. But you are still very young, with a bright future, Umino. It would be such a waste. And... The little fox will need you. She can manage. She's a strong lady who knows what she does and what she wants to do. Plus, I bowed to her since the start that she'll make it out of here safe and sound. <laughs> anyway, this is what my family would have wanted. Umino directs a stream of water towards the orb, which begins to glow extremely brightly. He then faces Dokebi and Kitsukumi. Well then, Ms. Dawa, please take care of her, and I'll see you on the other side. Dokebi and her remaining subordinates escape alongside Kitsukumi. Heite and Umino silently stay in the plaza, and after several minutes, Umino then chants towards the orb, and Heite provides the last piece of Umino's Yoju orb. It begins to levitate and spin rapidly. Umino then puts his hand over his heart and begins chanting towards the orb. Heite also rapidly increases in size while chanting in the extinct Korean language. Video recordings obtained from nearby drones drastically degrade in terms of quality and become totally filled with static. Monitoring stations more than one and a half kilometers away report visuals of a 100-meter-long draconic entity wrapped in rope-like aquatic formations. It carries a 10-meter-high orb, decorated with repetitive curved patterns and the characters of the long-dead Korean writing script and Chinese Hanzi. Meanwhile, a 60-meter-high Leonin entity, surrounded by levitating aquatic formations shaped like swords, accompanies the draconic entity. Multiple high-speed streams of water attack the Japanese branch agents, blocking the way of evacuation. Using water formations, the pair proceeds to generate a multitude of Chinese and Korean script characters, alongside sceneries depicting vignettes or activities in daily life within a 100-kilometer radius. Their forms bear the style of Kitsukumi's drawings, indicating that they are formed due to the Yowu Gusuo. To illustrate, 1. A girl in Hanbok playing with a young boy in a garden labeled Halim Park. Historically, it was turned into a factory. A Nen, a Manchurian adolescent exiting from a textile factory. He soon returns to his home, where he hugs his sick brother. A game developer playing on a banned console, rapidly smashing buttons. 
a room of mangaka and her assistants rushing to draw and polish a chapter. A girl and a boy in festival clothes, embracing each other amidst the fireworks and lanterns. Approximately 700 members of MTFN1 were soon airdropped from multiple planes and helicopters, conducting a heavily synchronized fan and drum dance in the sky. The dance manifested multiple high-intensity thaumaturgic blasts towards the pair, neutralizing many aquatic water formations. In return, the pair shot out high-intensity water jets and strong gusts of wind, although the Shrine Maidens were able to counter via kinetic paper fan chant. MTFN1 soon retreated via teleportation talismans. Fifteen minutes later, a Japanese branch army forces barraged the pair with volleys of thermobaric and small-scale atomic bombs. These attacks, combined with the MTFN1's damage earlier, caused the pair to crash into nearby buildings. The bodies of the pair soon turned to water, and levitating bubbles flooding all of Heijo. SCP-7000 Dokebi later reported that a single jet of water traveled to it and Kitsukumi, just as they were about to board an evacuation submarine. The stream of water formed into a message in Korean script characters, declaring, Yal Gayo, farewell. The jet of water lightly impacted onto the awakened Kitsukumi's hands, disappearing. Well, damn. Yeah, that was heavy. I really like that. That was pretty heavy. Yeah, that was a good way for it to end. Um, Still very strongly stand by that this should have been a tale, because this is definitively not something that would be posted on the scp actual article but it's it, it's it got good at the end there it got good i i think what this person really needs to do and i mentioned to, i i mentioned to you in lord xnv's comments is that um he should he really shouldn't have made a lot of the big story elements uh drop down boxes because it's really deceptive on how long this thing actually is because the the bulk of it is hidden in drop down boxes. Yeah, and more importantly than that, than that, I would say it's it's nonsensically organized in the drop down boxes. Like they don't need to be necessarily done that way. I mean, I guess the intention of this is that you could read all the drop downs or you could just read the actual SCP. But the actual SCP is like yeah, not that long. And then all the drop downs are like eight ten times the length of the actual article itself um yeah like you you could you could you could get rid of sovereign mission three uh you don't really need to read through the manga catalog uh the declarations i guess Mm -hmm. are a little you know good build-ups the actual event but what you're 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 looking for is sovereign mission for the timeline log and five yeah i mean that, that that's really what the bulk of it is about and um I would also strongly recommend, as, as constructive criticism, just have it be cameras on their person or um, a video log or something. And then just, just write it like an actual book. would Have somebody transcribe this into a tale yeah. at the end. like in, Canonically in-universe, have somebody write down. Have Kitsukumi have written it yeah. down like a story. I think that would work. Yeah, because my, 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 the thing with these logs... Because now you bring that up, who, what, what who's is this log these? from? Yeah, who, yeah. Who's who, writing? Who, who, who wrote this? Is this recorded? Like, yeah. Um, I think it's very, very good core storytelling here, but it's one too long, with too many turns and twists, down paths that are totally 
adjacent to the actual point of the of the article. And secondly, um, the story of Umino and Kitsukumi is is very good, but it's it's not an it's not an SCP story. Nobody would write an article, not an article. A member of the SCP Foundation in universe would not be cataloging this information. Ninety nine percent of it is just not useful. So what should be done is have Kitsukumi submit like a diary or a transcript of their stories together. And that's, that's how the SCP foundation knows how all of this went down. And that's what they use in the article. That would make much more sense to me. Um, even still, I would recommend that you summarize each of them in a very analytical cold way. And then you open yeah. it up and you read it and it's literally just an anime. It's literally just an anime and, 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 and it's, it's well done anime. I mean, it, it reads like literally reading the summary page of an anime. That's that's how this feels in a good way, I would say. Anyhow, I also hats off to him for writing. I think this is ten thousand words. My my writer brain tells me in total this is at least ten thousand words. I'm surprised there isn't more um, typos because my, my mine is like yeah. I, I think it's I think it's about twenty five hundred words now, and there are typos in it. So I'm I'm glad that like. He put a lot of work into this, and I and I can tell, and I, I appreciate the work done. I do think that after the contest, I, I, I think this should stay on the site, um, and it will. It's got like I 70, agree. like eight upvotes. Um, with some retooling, this will be great. I, I think it's about, yeah. I think I'll give it a seven. I think it has the potential to be an eight or a nine. Just needs a little bit of retooling. I think right now I would give it a six with the spirit of an eight. It's just very arduous to read through in a lot of ways. Um, and you are kind of correct, not really. Um, do you want to know how many words this is? How many? 20,000. 20? Oh, wow. I, I lowballed it. <laughs> yeah. This is 20,000. Well, roughly 20,000 words. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot, lot, lot. Um, there's some some overcounting in that, but it's it's at least nineteen thousand at a bare minimum. Uh, Umino is is a uh, written one hundred and seventy four times, and Kitsukumi is written one hundred and fifty nine times. That's funny. That's more than the 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 letters S C P are. Uh, after that is Japanese one hundred and twenty three times. Uh, reading level is a college student, apparently. That's cool. And the base reading time is an hour and 16 minutes, and the speaking time is two hours. Jesus. I, I mean, that that basically kind of fits with how we ended up reading it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. I would say, at least. Um. Yeah, uh, let's go ahead and read that very last log. Yes, let's do it. Uh... Let's see. You, who do you want to be? Uh, I will be Alta Vista. All right. Operation Filibusterismo Director Ezequiel Alta Vista has discussed the results with O513. The discussion has been translated into English. Alta Vista. Mabuhai on Maharlika, Simone. Mabuhai Ezequiel. Before we start, here's some coffee. Straight. From the Cordillera Highlands. Apparently, they're really experiencing good harvest. Thank you. It's delicious, Simone. 
How's cleanup going? Rather smoothly, we managed to evacuate most of our personnel. While we're sure that enough Korean and Chinese collaborators escaped with us, those that couldn't escape either died or went their own separate ways. In any case, the Japanese LinkedIn net is exploding with social media posts and websites detailing all our works of art. Good. Very good for a $2 billion project. Mm, I'm seeing a little bit of the footage myself. God, those lanterns were a sight. Rizal himself would be proud. Unfortunately, I had to deal with a lot of paperwork, especially with the ramifications of us designating Japan as SCP-7000. Simone, we're going to be lit dead by the rest of the Foundation if they find out what we were up to. From a certain point of view, we went rogue. Wouldn't be out of place the Philippine branch itself lands a slot on the list of SCPs, especially with how we use Chinese and Korean anomalies. Izakir, isn't it fun to set records? Like being the first Foundation branch to land itself a slot on the main list? First, Japan already broke that record, technically, thanks to us. Second, it wouldn't be so funny if our containment class ends up as neutralized, Simone. <laughs> Don't worry about it for now. I've been busy making sure that uh, no word slips away from this country. Oh, five perks, I guess. <laughs> Still, our luck hasn't run out yet. I always had a feeling that SCP-7000 was a convenient excuse to mobilize the Philippine branch. I just hoped it was really anomalous, so at least we have something to defend ourselves in court. It sort of is an excuse, especially if we just limit our definition of normalcy to our timeline. In our world, the Japanese Empire is a normal fact of life. We trade with them, bud heads with them over rather trivial political stuff, and collaborate over things like science. Hell, they even thought our foundation branch is trustworthy enough. So we had to be creative with multiversal stuff. Mm, that's correct. Though we really do have an anomaly on our hands. Thousands of alternate histories we studied say that Japan should have lost the war. China joining the Axis powers, although possible, shouldn't have happened. Why is it that it only happened in our timeline? We can make a good case for it, I think, especially with how the Japanese threatens the balance of power in the Foundation. Interessante. Though from an objective viewpoint, SCP-7000 wouldn't just be Japan. It would be the whole world, including us. If Japan went access, who knows what would have happened to us. The Philippines turns into a failed state over the next few decades. Not helping is how stupid Filipinos can be when it comes to electing dictators and populists. I guess we're very lucky then, and we have the Japanese Empire to thank for that. We should soon change its designation to Thaumiel. Hmm. Though Korea and China didn't have it so good in this timeline. Oh, f f f funny thing enough that I, I learned from reading the discussion, that, that line you just read originally said um, the Philippines turns out to be such a shithole in the next few decades. And somebody tried arguing like with them. is was like, I think you're being racist. And he's like, bro, I'm from the Philippines, but I'll change it so it's a little less sus. That's literally... It's not, he's not even talking about the race of, oh my god. Oh. <laughs> That's funny. Uh. Alright, where is that? Uh, <clears throat> Simone, in the grand scheme of history, someone loses, someone wins. That's just how, how the things work in reality. Plus, those who care about what it actually means to be Korean and Chinese are desperate enough to be under our wing. You can't find tools like them anywhere. Well, we gave the Koreans and Chinese their chance. Speaking of them, Ezekiel, have you taken care of the new Korean and Manchurian Foundation branches? We still have to resolve the problem of redistributing the balance of power, given how the Japanese branch will likely implode. 
Hmm, not yet, really. That's so far in the works. So far, I've only taken the care of filing our legal and political departments of those branches. But my collaborators are rather cooperative. We're also getting offers for some of our allies, like the Russians. Looks like they all want a piece of the cake. But at least we have a few allies in the foundation that can legitimize the new branches. Hmm, good. Looks like the foundation is unraveling. Japan is currently investigating the aftermath. It's only a short matter of time before they start pointing fingers, especially at us. It's fairly obvious that someone in the Foundation set up the whole shebang. Time to consolidate our power, Simone. I plan to contact the Indonesians and the other branches in Southeast Asia soon. Maybe they would help us out, seeing that our government did put a lot of work solidifying our alliances. Should I do that now? Uh, wait a little bit for now, since we have to make sure that these guys won't turn against us. I'm especially wary of Thailand, whose king has been sucking up to Japan and Vietnam, which had a bone to pick with the Chinese way back then. The Indonesians might be good partners, but their ties with Australia, and by extension the western branches, are a little suspicious. Don't worry, Simone, I won't say a word about Operation Filibusterismo. All I would say is that the Japanese branch might no longer be fit for duty, seeing that it got overwhelmed in the recent attacks. Like, who knows if it can survive another wave of anomalies. It would also help us out in, be in legitimizing the Korean and Manchurian branches, going by the logic that delegating things to smaller but more focused foundation groups is the best option. As for the other, more neutral foundation branches... Hmm, we do have evidence of the Japanese trying to puppeteer neighboring branches, right? Like putting them in debt traps and aggressive dealings. We can say that they were preparing to strike. I remember filing those documents away. We can just make the issue overblown enough that the Foundation will go into red alert when it comes to the Japanese. Ah, I see how we can go about this, Zikir. Hopefully, this would strike a big enough political blow to Japan and reduce its influence to a low enough point. For the grand finale. Simone, are we really going forward with the next operation? I thought it was merely a hypothetical plan, at least for now. Are all these things really just preparations for it? It's still all hypothetical. We still have a long way to go before we can actually implement Operation Downfall. Despite the rest of the Empire not faring so well, the home islands are very well guarded, and they have a very firm grip on their citizens. Being told that they're superior beings over and over again will do that to you. Best we could do for now is isolate them. I see. We're going to implement the Sokoku degree, Filipino style. All right, then. By the way, we're still going to have to demote, devote millions of dollars to Operation Filibusterismo, right? What I worry is that the propaganda and militia funding might take a toll on our finances. We also have to train new agents and personnel from our stock of East Asian people. Two billion dollars has already been a lot for rather small countries like us. Nah, don't panic over it. That's why we're going to go to the other branches discreetly involved here. The resulting arms deal will be very good. Plus points for us. I also personally know GOIs that we can contact for help. Simone, we're going to end up causing a worldwide occult war if we continue this. I'm not entirely opposed to the idea, but still, we have to secure, contain, and protect stuff as part of one foundation. One foundation, eh? Never really understood why the Foundation is so united and monolithic, even if we're composed of wildly disparate cultures, interests, and circumstances. Hmm. I guess this is why the Foundation really likes Japan. It's very good at enforcing uniformity and a normal world. But I think that a normal world like that isn't enough if we actually want humanity to progress. So, Zikir, we have to do all we can. 
even if that means war. Mmm, progress. Very fun word, especially for us Filipinos. A word so fun it's going to redefine normalcy. Anyway, there's nothing normal in a uniform yet rotting world. It's time to shift the balance of luck and power towards those who deserve it and are prepared to have it. Simone, I will see what I can do. That's the spirit of Zik here. Mabuhe ang mahalika. I bet that a new, golden, eight-rayed sun will be rising soon. Holy Moses. We fucking did it. We did. I hope we do see more from this world. I was a little disappointed that the ending didn't have anything with Kitsukumi, which would have been the, the perfect <laughs> opportunity to do what you said, is release the diaries of her and Umino's adventures as like a link at the bottom of the, the thing. Yeah, it's why I think that this would be great for tales. Don't don't limit yourself into the fucking SCP format. Just just do tales. Just do tales. You clearly don't want to do SCP formats. Yeah, yeah. The, the, this the, the the SCP could have been the setting, and then Umino and Kutsukumi's adventures could have been the tales that stem yeah, off of this. I think that would have been. You great. could turn this into a hub, the 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 mangaka and the high castle That's hub, right. and then it could have a bunch of anomalies and um, stories in it. Yeah, yeah, I think that will be perfect. Well, I'm a little brain smashed. My little wrinkles in my cranium have been smoothed out. I have nothing else to say besides the fact that it was a fun read, if very, very excessively long. Yes, and... um. I'm just taking a look at, um, oh, two people wrote this. That makes sense. The, the co-author is the person who drew the manga panels. Uh, really good artwork, by uh, the way, to THD hyphen glasses. Um, I, I believe he is the person who wrote it. If, if, if he, yeah. Okay. Yeah. THD glasses graciously illustrated all of the manga panels and served as the vanguard of the finer details of Korean culture used in this piece. Um, yeah. Uh, great art. Um, I hope to see more from this author and to read more from them. Uh, if you all enjoyed it, um, if you don't have a Wikidot account, go make one. Give him an upvote if you liked it. Um, if you have any on any and only constructive criticism, write it in the comments. If there's any other SCP-7000 entries that you guys would like to see us read and um, uh, get our thoughts on, let us know on Twitter or somewhere where you can get a hold of us. Shoot us an email. Uh, also, also, if you're you're gonna recommend us one, maybe one that's not nineteen thousand words. I think I think I think we draw the line at uh, at like. Let's draw the line at ten thousand now. Yeah, maybe, let's draw the line at ten thousand like, in terms of things maybe, we maybe can read. Like six thousand, uh, because we like to read multiple stuff per per. SCP yeah, we we episode. tend to like multiple stuff. Um, not not like we can't talk for three hours, but this combined with the original episode, this is about like three hours of reading. Um. For one thing, yeah. It's, it's, okay. it's how long was fun. um, how long was Requiem of Remnant the first chapter? Also twenty thousand words, but it went by a lot faster because I was the one reading almost the entire thing because I forgot that Jorno only speaks like three fucking words. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, uh, ten thousand probably ten 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 thousand at the most for a, a single story. Um. Because we want to be able yeah. to cover multiple things, and then 
you know, there's nothing wrong with writing 20,000 words. It's just, it's not necessarily conducive to, um, don't write it in this way. This is, this is a little bit, a little bit, a little bit deceptive, maybe a little difficult. Yes, to, but uh, yeah, yeah, very dece- de- deceptive. A lot of this stuff could have just been on the page. It didn't need to be in collapsibles. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. I do love you today. And I also love you today. Bye.